All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya Georgetown basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft. I am joined today, another off-season edition by, back by popular demand, Marcus Washington from Making the Cut. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. This is probably going to be a very transfer-centric podcast here. And I know Marcus will probably have some different ways of looking at things than me, which is a great thing. Marcus, let me just read off a couple things real quick, and then we can start going. So going back, starting with the most recent events since we've last spoken, last night, Javon Blair, in a moment where I was without my phone and Twitter for probably the longest time in a couple weeks, which is a good thing, he decides to announce on social media that he is not going to be exercising his option to what I'm going to call a super senior season. Javon Blair obviously led the Hoyas in scoring this past season as they won a Big East championship and made the NCAA tournament. Before that, TJ Berger, one of the freshmen, he played in 14 games, 69 minutes. He committed to Georgetown last May, so he didn't even make an entire calendar year. He entered the transfer portal, not completely unexpected as earlier. And these moves are, in my opinion, all kind of related because it's all kind of the same position. Berger, a shooting guard, Blair, a shooting guard. And before that, Georgetown picked up its second grad transfer in one of the more prolific three-point shooters in the country, Caden Rice out of the Citadel. It really seemed to me once they signed him, or I shouldn't say they signed him, Georgetown's not announced it. Caden uh, Rice announced that he's going to Georgetown. Georgetown's not confirmed it. Because there's things, you know, there's administrative things that have to take place first. Okay. But we kind of all sort of accept what Caden put out there on social media. So once he announced, we knew that Georgetown was at least one over the scholarship limit, depending on how Don Carey is viewed. And we also knew that that meant there's another shooting guard. So you're probably thinking that's not great news if you want Blair to come back. And if you're TJ Berger, you're probably thinking, like, how long am I going to have to wait to play? And as we know, in 2021, going to be 22 next season, there's not a lot of waiting around to play these days. We can start on one of those. It's your pick, Marcus. Or we can start with the fact that I know I owe you Pop-Tarts. I cannot even remember the bet that I lost it on. Oh, yes. Uh, It was Pop-Tarts based on Kim English and what commitment George Mason was going to make to them from a financial perspective. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I was very surprised that the, I'm and I'm happy, yes. uh, you know, as someone that I have some I have some some uh, credit hours from George Mason under my belt during the summers when I was home. And uh, I've been around the program long enough to consider myself a friend of the program. And I cover games when it's available when people need me to. So, um, yes, I absolutely believe that they should be compensating their coach at a very high level, a very comparable level to the top five of the A-10 and I had my doubts as if they would do that. And you were more confident. And you are the big winner on that. I don't know when we're going to get together. But uh, I will get some Pop-Tarts. And they will not be the pumpkin pie ones. I actually got rid of the last two packets. I just decided, why am I going to eat something that I don't like? I'm an adult. I have money. You know, it's not like leaving like a floater around. Like when you're in college, you know, oh, you're not going to leave a floater, you know, that stuff. Like, I don't need to eat those. They're in the trash. So it'll be something much nicer than that. But yeah, getting back to Georgetown, which one of those moves, and I I say moves, I know this is not a pro organization 
So I'm not trying to make light of that they're student athletes and most of these guys are, you know, under 21 and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for the purposes of this, we're going to call them moves, transactions, whatever you want to say. Which one do you want to, you want to start working from the most recent or you want to go from the, the, one, that, the, the one that happened the furthest? I want to start with, with Blair. Yeah, um, that's good. I think this was a good move in the sense that I don't think that the college basketball game was going to help him out at all, whether he's at Georgetown or someone else and somewhere else. But I also think he could be a really, really good international player. Um, and I know we're just coming off the COVID. So international basketball, depending on what countries you're talking about, where they are in their processes of letting people back in the country and having seasons and so on and so forth. But I just view him as the perfect international player, a guy who can handle the ball just good enough, a guy who can shoot the three good enough, a guy who can, you know, spot up in the corner, play off someone when you're going small and you want multiple ball handlers out on the floor. And it probably was about time for him to start that, especially when you consider, as you said earlier, the moves that Georgetown made on their own. Yeah, well, I think, you know, my guess is that Georgetown kind of knew what he was doing. Um, the people that I've spoken to that I trust never felt Blair was coming back. I know this past week, I know other people put out there that, you know, it seems like Pickett, there's still a chance with him. You know, I think that's what we've all been kind of hearing for a while now. Blair, I'd, I'd, I'd never heard that. And that's not to say that things happen that I don't hear. Okay. But, it, you know, I, I think once they, once Caden Rice put out there that he was coming, it's just like, well, do you really need two of these guys? I mean, you know, Caden Rice t- takes 10 three-pointers a game. Okay. Uh, Javon Blair, who it felt like he took 10 a game, right? Well, he only took seven. So there's not even enough basketballs to go around if you got both those guys on your roster, right? So I thought that was a pretty clear if you were still holding out hope that Blair wanted to, you know, work on a master's degree and all that kind of stuff, that that was not going to happen. He obviously can work on a master's degree later in his life. That's a very normal thing. But I think the best the best argument for him staying at school was that was school-related stuff. Do you want to go to Georgetown for a year for free? You know, I think basketball-wise, I think you're 100% right. If he's going to try and, you know, catch on to the G League or go play overseas, he can definitely leave now. I think he kind of is where he is. Yeah, and I'm wondering if Georgetown didn't run a different uh, system on offense, would it have been more attractive to come back? So let's just say that they ran something more that looked like Alabama or a team where threes are coming from anyone and anywhere. So then you're not worried so much of having both Blair and and Rice on the same team because that ball is going up anyway. Yeah, I I mean, I guess that's that's a pretty good point. And, you know, based on Georgetown's roster, as we know it to be today, we are recording this on Thursday night, April 22nd. It does seem like, you know, with the transfer they already have, the grad transfer they already picked up from Eastern Kentucky, Trey King, that it's more likely that I'm not going to say they're going to run Alabama offense, but it's more likely that they play a style that is, you know, less big man focused. Yeah. You know, and at this point, I think the roster lends towards that. And I think it'll help the program, to be honest with you, if you can get some of the, the players that we're seeing the university look at as far as bringing in for recruiting that UNC seems to like, they, they are playing four out one end. They're playing five out dribble drive. This is what they're playing 
for their high schools. This is what they're playing during their summer on their AAU teams. This is the style that they're playing. Um, there's not too much post-up going on and throwing it in the post. So, you know, ultimately, if he does switch, it could it could help the program out uh, to attract even more of the players that they're seeking to come here because there'll be a certain level of comfort. Yeah, I know you're right. And I'm sure that what I'm about to say had literally nothing to do with Javon Blair's decision. But when you're looking at it from where we are, when we're looking at it from press row, when you're looking at it from the other side of the zoom um, at the media availability is the way that, you know, the way that the world works now is that the NCAA tournament game didn't go the way anybody wanted to, but you really can't leave on a higher note than what Blair is doing. You know, he, in my opinion, you know, I thought he was probably the big East tournament MVP, but I'm not going to argue that Dante got it. Okay. But he led, he was one of the guys that led Georgetown to their first Big East tournament championship since 2007. He got them back to the tournament. We can, I think it's been long enough now we can gloss over what happened. Just the fact that they made it sort of unbelievable. So for, you know, a player that came in and made all freshmen, then kind of took a back seat, then was taking a back seat again. But then because everyone left, he had to be the guy. You really can't leave on a higher note. And, you know, there's something to sort of, you know, leaving at the right time, you know, leaving after the right joke if you're at a party. And if, you you know, if you're, if you're Javon Blair, he left it. He's leaving at a pretty good time, right? I mean, he's going to be remembered very fondly by Hoya fans, I think, forever. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about it. That team, this is what kind of upsets me. Not upsets me, but it kind of bothers me. And I know we live in different times. And I, I embrace the times that we live in probably more than others do. Um, just the idea that afterwards we're seeing this breakup through transferring and, and that sort of thing. And you want to remember them together. And there was a piece of everyone that kind of wanted either Blair to come back or if Pickett comes back and for, for Q to stay. And almost like that whole let's give it one more run type of feel. But I also understand in 2021 and – very, very seldom do we see that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, so good luck to Javon. I, I will say this. You know, they've got the the banquet coming up. It's obviously going to be virtual. And, you know, he, you know, Javon was on the list of players to be honored. Javon, Judy, Jamarco. And you can be honored at that. I mean, we've seen guys come out on senior day, you know, the last home game. You know, we saw Aaron Bowen do it. We saw Bradley Hayes do it. So that's not always, you can't always look to that when you have the ability to come back. Those cases were different. Those were, you know, I've got a red shirt year because I didn't play, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But it it did seem like it was pointing that way. And, you know, he didn't have to announce this. You know, I know he did. And that's great because, you know, there's people all over the message boards and Twitter and, you know, trying to, you know, come up with ways, which is great. If you're a fan, you know, you've got more knowledge. You've got more people to bounce stuff off of. There's the bad parts of Twitter message boards as well, but there's also a really good part, you know, before we didn't have a chance to do that yet, like, you know, just bug your neighbor and say, Hey, here's what's going on at Georgetown. And they're like, well, I don't care. I don't like Georgetown, but now you you can, you can find people to talk to. Maybe they're in Finland. Who the hell knows, you know, but it, it was interesting. So in staying with Javon for a second, do you think Javon putting it out there, what he's doing, does that, does that make you feel like, well, it's not over till it's over. Like maybe we, we need to hear from Chudy. We need to hear from Jamarco. Or do you think that they're unrelated? Because to me, it makes it seem like, 
Well, he sort of set the precedent now at Georgetown. All right, now let's see what Jamarco says. Let's see what Judy says. I think he breaks the ice for them or maybe even rushes them a bit. Maybe some of them, one of the two or both, didn't really want to go public with it. Uh, with him going public with it, I think it does give a certain amount of pressure to uh, Pickett and to Judy to say something at the very least. And uh, you brought it up earlier, scholarship counts. And Georgetown is one of many schools that's dealing with this now. Uh, you're in the portal or you're still deciding if you want to come back or not. But, you know, life in the recruiting world does not stop. So maybe I go out and I sign someone and you're like, on, well, I wasn't quite ready to make a decision. And I'm not, I was kind of leaning towards coming back, but now I'm not because there's nowhere for me to go. And so if those guys have any, any intention of coming back, they, they better say something sooner rather than later. Well, and, and that is that that is a good point. But so what's going on right now at the NCA is that your super seniors that want to stay that you already have, they don't count against the cap. Right. So you could have 13 kids. And then like, literally if, if Blair Pickett and Chudy wanted to come back, they wouldn't, they wouldn't count against that number. Right. So, okay. yeah. So that, so that actually doesn't, doesn't affect them, but it does affect guys like Caden Rice. So that's why it was a big deal when he got there. So now let's turn to TJ Berger. So, not surprising that TJ Berger would enter the transfer portal. And that's not to say anything, you know, bad about him, but he was a very late signee last year in May. You know, he was originally going to Penn because of the whole, he's a shooter. He was going to go to the Ivy league. A lot of fans really were like, Oh, do we have Jonathan Wallace 2.0, which obviously that's, you know, Ahoya's legend. He was part of a great class. He's part of a class that, brought Georgetown back after a little bit of a dark spell. Obviously, there's not a lot of Jonathan Wallace's running around out there. Okay, it's very unique to be able to do what he did, and that's not fair to TJ to expect that from him. But just, just kind of I'm just trying to give you a perspective of or the listeners a perspective of like sort of where his where he was slotted after, you know, high school and AAU evaluations and all that stuff. He's kind of an Ivy League player. So, you know, he came to Georgetown, gave it his best. Um, he actually showed well at times that got the fans. And I think we talked on podcasts about, hey, let's see a little bit more burger. They're probably going to need him next year. Let's get a little bit of a look. And, you know, so he went away. And there's a lot of ways that this could have gone down. We're not going to know unless TJ decides to talk about it. You know, Patrick wished him the best and said he was from a great family. He's a hard worker and he knows he's going to do well. But what do you think that's like in a college program? I know you're associated with an AAU program where, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, we got Caden Rice. We're over the scholarship limit. And I'm not even saying specifically to TJ Berger, but how often do you think it happens in college where it's like, all right, somebody's got to get out of here, <laughs> you know? And I'm not, I'm not laughing, like making light of it for the kid, but just in the whole idea of big time athletics. Well, if you're a university, I know Georgetown might not fit into this footprint, but if you're a university where you've anticipated maybe like a Kentucky or a Duke or someone like that, where you anticipated, well, I'm recruiting this kid, and my whole spiel to him has been, we know the following players are probably not coming back to this university. Yeah. And then they all of a sudden come back to this university, and maybe you don't want them back. Um, then maybe you have the difficult conversation of, well, we sort of don't want you back. <laughs> and we do want to give that scholarship to someone else. 
I don't know. I think it probably happens more than what we know and more than what we think. Yeah. I think, I think too, though, is a lot of times we don't know. We've seen guys have seasons like TJ Berger did as a freshman, who, by the way, everyone that played this year has an extra year. So wherever he lands, it's basically like starting from scratch. You know, he had a year at Georgetown. He played a little bit. He got a Big East tournament championship under his belt, which not a lot of guys have had since the 2000s. Actually, shoot, since 89. You know, after they won six of the first 10, they've only won two of the last 30. So it's, you know, it's, been, it's pretty hard to win a Big East tournament championship these days. So he, he has one of those. He's got the hat. He's got whatever, whatever gear they get from all that stuff. And he gets to go somewhere, start over. And you wonder, like, you know, end of season interviews, you know, you talk, you say, hey, you know, you, you know, I, I imagine that there's a talk with everyone. Like, here's where, here's, here's how the season went. Here's what you need to work on. Here's what I see. And for some of the guys, you, you know, you, you know, you say, is this the level for you? Do you want me to help you find another spot somewhere else where you want to play? You know, and that's not for everybody. Some kids just want to be part of the school and just, you know, use that. So it's just, it, it is, it is interesting to know. And, you know, maybe at some point, you know, TJ Berger or, you know, whoever, maybe even, you know, maybe we'll even hear more from Kudis, you know, we'll hear more from him about, you know, what really happened because, you know, it's it's easy to sit back and say, well, it happened because of this or, oh, my, the program I like is the best. It's the cleanest. They would never kick a kid out or or vice versa. And there's a million different things in between that can factor into this. So it is, yeah, I think, it is it is really interesting. Yeah. And, and again, I'm one of the ones who feel like the depth in basketball uh, alone is so big and it's so interchangeable. And I, I believe, I really do believe that we're living in a golden age of how great these players are at such an early age. So it's very easy to see where a coach could say, you don't fit in here, whereas 30 years ago you might feel that way, but you give them two more years. Now as you don't fit in here, and I have my eye on this kid down at yada, 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 so uh, maybe it's best for you to move on. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. But, you know, everyone views, you know, the, the fan base always has like a feel. It, you know, there. I mean, there has to be an immediate reaction all the time, right? Like you can't sit and think about something for five minutes. It's got to be immediate. I got to run to my keyboard. I got to run to my phone. I got to post what I think because the world can't survive if they don't see what I think. And that being said, TJ Berger is one of, I would say, the rare Patrick Ewing transfer kids that everyone feels really good about, <laughs> you know, as far as, hey, mm-hmm. he was a great kid. He came here. He helped us. We won a title and no hard feelings. Best of luck wherever you go, you know, and you cannot say that <laughs> as far as at least the way I'm taking the temperature of the fan base about many of the transfers that have happened recently, right? <laughs> right. No, very much so. Very much so. <laughs> And then, and then speaking of that, you know, so with losing Blair, which we kind of assumed, you know, if they do lose Pickett and Belay, you, you know, you lose a lot of three point shooting, and it seems like they filled that role to some extent with this kid from the Citadel, right? I mean, Caden Rice, yep. you know, <laughs> I mean, he, you know, he took fourteen shots a game last year, almost eleven of them were from three. He made, you know, he made basically Javon Blair numbers, about 35%. Uh, he scored 17 a game. This was obviously in the Southern Conference. And uh, he looks like somebody that his first couple years, he didn't he didn't start a lot. He had five starts in his first two years. And then his last two years, 
he started all but four of the you know 55 games that he uh he uh, played in so he definitely grew he got better when you look at what he did at the citadel it's almost like it's impossible to do that anywhere you know five points a game as a freshman i feel like if anyone else does that they just have to leave right like that's kind of what's been going on recently mm-hmm. so he's an example of someone that got better i'm gonna be honest I don't know what he's like in other parts of the game. I'm sure everyone's first thought is how is he defensively? Cause that's always kind of what you think about as a shooter is, you know, it's hard to be a really good shooter and a good defender. I mean, you, you, you know, you see it, but you don't see it all the time. So, but that being said, Ewing needed Ewing and the staff needed to fill a spot of this kind of profile and they did it. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is not only with the transfer of T.J. Berger, but how does it impact the rest of the roster? How does it impact the incoming freshmen? Uh, how does it impact the freshmen that were just there last year who's kind of been waiting their turn? Um, do they get discouraged? I think for yeah. for Ewing, this is very important because everything he he does, whether it's throwing it inside or not throwing it inside, is predicated on spacing. He needs spacing, and without having Q there any longer, it was going to be much harder to space without bringing in more three-point shooting than it even was uh, last season. So, again, like you said, it, it fills a need, but uh, I also want to know how does it impact the other freshmen um, on the roster from last year who – Obviously, their roles weren't the same as the roles of when Akinjo and McClung and LeBlanc all came in as freshmen. It's like uh, Coach Ewan just flipped the script. It went from, hey, we brought these guys in. They're going to play to, hey, we brought these guys in. I'm going to bring in transfer portal guys and not necessarily play these guys and trust these guys. So I'm really, really interested to see how the mix is this year. Okay, so – I want to make it pre- well. Actually, first, let me say there's there's something that I'm very surprised about, and I meant to tweet it the other day, and then I want to say my my full time job got in the way, and I forgot. I even started it, and then it just something happened. So periodically during the season, would ask Ewing about Jalen Harris. I stopped doing it. It seemed like I know what's going on here. This guy is not going to be part of the team anymore. And you know, he went away after six games for a family issue, which. The last thing in the world I want to do is be insensitive towards that as someone, and I don't know what his family situation is, but everyone has a family. Everyone has a perspective of what's important. That being said, if we just want to just, just focus on basketball, it's Kente corner, you know, just looking at it from a basketball point of view in that you've got a guy, I think he's a little bit on the older side and he wasn't listed. You know, he would, he didn't take part in senior day. Obviously I don't think he was mentioned He's not mentioned on the Hoya Hoop Club banquet for honoring the team and, you know, remembering the championship team and honoring the seniors. I don't think any of us actually even know if he was enrolled at Georgetown in the second semester. I mean, I think it's entirely possible that he was not. So I'm surprised that we have not seen Jalen Harris come around and be in the transfer portal. Like the player you forgot about that he basically has a couple options, right? He could play another year if he wants. I think when I was looking at all the guys and if they might return, I want to say I think he turns I think he turns 23 or 24 during the season cuz he's he's been at New Mexico, he's been in Arkansas. I don't know if he did a prep year or not. So he's he like I said he's on the older side. So he could come back, you know, for Georgetown, which is a possibility. I don't think any of us are considering being feasible. He could go in the transfer portal 
or he could decide that it's ready to, you know, can I start making money somewhere else overseas? Or is he done playing basketball? And I actually, just because I'm sort of a nerd, I'm sort of a, you know, I like these like these interesting, weird things. I would like to put a bow on the Jalen Harris story, uh, hoping that everything's okay with his family. But I am interested in like, I assume he transferred to Georgetown as a grad transfer because, you know, he wanted to play and showcase and be part of a winning team. And he wanted to obviously, I think, keep playing. So I'm just a little bit surprised we haven't heard anything from him. Are you surprised? Had you had you totally forgotten about him that he existed? Where are you as far as Jalen Harris? Yeah, I'm a little surprised that we haven't heard anything about him. I thought that he would resurface at the end of the year very early on into everyone jumping to the portal. Yeah. Just simply yeah. because even if he is uh having issues at home and, and again, like you've already said, no one wants to make light of that, just putting your name in the portal letting colleges know that you do have an intent to play somewhere. So because that hasn't happened, or at least I haven't seen it happen, I'm thinking that he's done Um, as far as playing collegiate basketball. And maybe he's looking for that next step. Everyone can't go to the G League. So maybe he's looking to play overseas Um, as far as his age. I mean, the easy joke is he would fit in at Wisconsin or BYU because um, they always have plenty of 24 and 25-year-olds there. Okay. But um, I do think that um, he's probably ready to move on and find somewhere to play overseas. And to be frank with you, even if he plays overseas, he's probably, you know, probably about a C-level player overseas. He's, he's certainly not an A-level. And I would question if, if he's a B-level player overseas, depending on what country he goes to. But um, maybe, look, if, if you had told me, uh, coming out of college, coming out of high school, that even if I could make uh, four years worth of salary playing professional basketball, I would have played in Panama, Peru. Uh, yeah. I mean, you name the country, I would have done it. Uh, figuring, well, between 22 and 26 or 23 and 27, um, you're kind of still kind of finding yourself anyway. So why not play basketball, get paid? You know, you always have plenty of time to have to act like a grown-up. Um, and it makes me think that maybe he's got to that point where he wants to try that. So, Marcus, I just looked. He turns 25 in November. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. born in November 1996. I, Like I said, I knew I'd, I'd looked this up at one point because I was factoring that into if I thought, you know, guys were going to stay or not. And uh, it's not on the Georgetown site, I don't think, but it's on the it's on his Arkansas profile. They actually put his birth date. So, so yeah, so, uh, yeah, he's probably just gonna give it a try somewhere else, but I was interested to see if he was gonna, if he was gonna pop up in the transfer portal. Okay. And so, and the other prediction I want to make is I think for as much as fans are based on, you know, people were tweeting this week about, or writing about how Jamarco is, you know, thinking about coming back. And, you know, I heard that a while ago as well. And I think that, I'd be surprised. I'd be really surprised. I think for as much as he would help Georgetown basketball and for as much, you know, as getting a free year of school and working towards a master would probably be a positive for his life going forward to get that done for free. I just think Jamarco is not really, if he, if he's really focused on basketball, which I'm not saying you have to be, or that's right or wrong. I really think that he has everything he's going to need to carve out the kind of career that he needs. I, I just, I just don't think another year at Georgetown it's going to put him into the second round of, you know, into the second round of the draft or anything. 
No, and I don't either. And he's one of these ones that if he does make it uh, to the NBA, he'll probably have a better professional career um, just because he fits the NBA game a lot more. He's 6'9". He's so long. You know, the NBA is full of 3 and D type players. He kind of fits into that from an NBA perspective, which is not Yeah, you're right. He he can be a great defender at times. Yeah, I mean, that's not necessarily used, you know, on a collegiate uh, level, the whole concept of 3 and D. Uh, He fits in perfect to that, and and I think he would become a better defender um, on the NBA level if he knew, look, this is my role. This is the way I'm going to keep getting paid. I'm going D up, I'm going to shoot the three, and easily I can hang around this league for eight years because I'll always get a chance. I'll always get a chance if I do those two things. So if he turns himself into a a Trevor Ariza, something along those type of lines, he can have a successful career in the NBA. So I, I wouldn't blame him if he wants to get started on that right now, to be honest. Yeah, no, and, and just like Javon, he leaves literally at a really high point. He brought back a Big East tournament to Georgetown, which is a really big deal. Got him back to the tournament, and I think that if he showed up on day one, if you talked about team goals, and we heard Jamarco and Javon a lot this year talk about, you know, that they talk with Ewing Jr. a lot, and, you know, when they got the 1,000 points, how Ewing Jr. would say, well, you know, we won a Big East tournament. And it's like, they can say that now. So I think on day one, if you said, hey – where, where Georgetown was when they showed up, there had just been a coaching change. And you said, you guys are going to be part. I'm sure they would have wanted multiple, obviously. Everybody wants the most. But if you said, hey, you know what? You guys are going to put your four, four years in. You're going to be part of a Big East tournament championship team. You're going to get this team back to the NCAA tournament. I think they would have signed up for that. You know, I think they would have said, you know, I'll take that right now. So they did that. I don't think two players have done as much for Georgetown by staying. I mean, sh- shoot, even just staying. No, no one is staying anymore at Georgetown. They stayed. They put a lot in. So I think both Javon and Jamarco will be leaving at a very, you know, if the stock market, they're at a high. You know what I mean? Like you're. you're so my prediction is that Jamarco is probably not going to stay stay for a fifth year as much as it would help the team and everyone would love it. And I'm not going to name names, but based on the fact that right now Georgetown is at 14 scholarships, 13. You know, plus the carry, which I don't think is going to count from what I understand. You can't make 14 guys on scholarship happy. Right now, it seems like Malcolm Wilson might be like that one old school guy that is going to try his best and do his best on the court. But I don't know, based on, you know, he's on like the NCA committee as a student represent student representative. He seems like he's like the Georgetown University, like into the college part. I don't think, I don't think you can make 10 guys happy. So, I would not be surprised, and I don't know who, but I think we might see some more movement with the freshmen. I don't know who, but you're bringing in two grad transfers. You're bringing in five freshmen. And outside of Dante Harris, you know, Holloway, Clark, Sibley, those guys probably didn't play as much as they wanted to. And I'm not making the case that they should leave. I just think I think, I think we might see some more, some more movement. You think I'm crazy? No, I think we'll see it, but for those guys, if they were going to make that move with still 1,400-plus people in the portal, I, again, I think they should have made that move earlier than when we're recording because okay. Okay. just do, do the math. 
I yeah, mean, yeah. if and plus, if I'm looking to fill spots right now, how do I fill spots with them if I have to win now when I'm probably going to look at a guy who's a junior or a guy who's a grad transfer? So I, I see it both ways. I can see them wanting to leave because of the situation and when is it finally going to be my turn? But I can also see them putting their name in the portal and saying, oops, um, I'm not getting the type of offers that I was hoping to get. Yeah, like I said, that's just my that's just my prediction. And I think I'm not blaming the staff for wanting to bring in grad transfers, but I know we talked about this all year. It's and we talked about it actually. It was I think we talked about it off the record or not off the record, but off of a pod about Notre Dame's. Um, I know everyone listening to this is really going to give a shit about Notre Dame's <laughs> quarterback situation, but I think that when you, <laughs> I think that when you when you bring in the grad transfers, you know, it it hurts, it it hurts what you already have, unless you feel like you're a piece away. And I don't think Georgetown is a piece away. So it's hard. It's a hard job. Luckily, they're compensated very well for this very difficult job. But mm-hmm. I do think that when, you know, if you're sitting around, you're like, wow, I didn't play as much as I wanted to last year. Oh, they're bringing in five new guys. Oh, great. We're bringing in more more grad transfers. What the hell am I doing here? And I think that's what a lot of kids think. Or I'll tell you yeah. what, it's what, it's, it's what a lot of parents think. Yeah, and I do think it impacts the kids also, um, the idea of staying four years and only playing maybe your last year or kind of being the senior that everyone chants their name at the end of the game when you're up by 20. It's just not um, – You want you want that to be a walk-on, by the way. You don't want right, that to be yes, a scholarship guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I mean, it's just not appealing, and, and you can go places. And I do think that kids um, – and I know I've mentioned – this to you before, I do think the kids are more realistic. And I do think after two years, if you are bringing in grad transfers and you're recruiting kids on top of what you play, at that point, some kids are just like, look, I would rather play two years in, in you know, something equivalent to the, to the old Sunbelt Conference so I can at least have that experience and be here for four years and just kind of buy my time out. And there's a piece of me that respects the modern college athlete for that, saying, hey, look, I came in here wanting to play professionally or whatever your goal was at the very beginning. It's not going to work out the way I thought. And instead of me holding on to some unrealistic dream or uh, playing victim of, oh, well, the coach had to played me and not recruited that guy, they say, hey, look, I know where I am. Uh, maybe instead of being at this Power 5 school, again, maybe I should be in the CAA. Maybe I should be in the Atlantic 10 and, and play those two years and enjoy my last two years of eligibility of playing college basketball. Yeah. And a piece of me kind of likes that. You know, I think it's good. And frankly, I think it's good for college basketball. I think it's good for college basketball that those kids bring their Power 5 experience and bring it down to a different um, – to a different level and, and helps them. Uh, you get to play a bigger role and it helps them in recruiting. Um, I think it works out more for everyone than people are willing to give it credit for. Okay. Well, all right, here's where I want to talk about some stuff then. Cause I think I see this a little, a little bit differently. <laughs> right. 
and I don't want to be uh yell, you know, old man yells at cloud guy from the Simpsons, mm-hmm. but I think you follow more other college basketball than I do, but Georgetown, particularly under Ewing, and I went back a little bit further. It's been going for a while. They've been unable to, and I don't know if it's, if you can identify it in recruiting, maybe you're signing too many kids. I think it's Musselman at Arkansas talked about like, he he only wants to get like 10 of his guys. He only wants to get 10 scholarships. I think, I think Jay Wright's kind of like that a little bit as well, because you can't make everyone happy, but it just seems like, College basketball in general and Georgetown specifically, which is the team I focus on the most, they can't get guys to come through the system and sort of be part of the program without playing as much. Like they can't get those guys. And I know that you're always going to have your guys that say, hey, I'm not playing. I want to leave. But don't you on some level need guys as you have a program everyone talks about uses the word culture all the time. And, you know, how do you establish your culture if every year you've got five or four new freshmen, three new grad transfers, you know, I mean, really Ewing, the the players that he's recruited, the only guys that have made it to their junior season so far are Blair and Pickett. Now we think based on what we know now that Ego FA is going to be a junior, you know, Malcolm Wilson didn't play at all his freshman year. So he, you know, but he's part of that, you know, he, he'll be a third-year class guy. I just think that there is value in your program to have guys that, you know, you come in. And I think Georgetown's an interesting school for this. I would, you know, throw up Michigan. I would throw up UVA, Notre Dame, you know, non Duke, non-Ivies that are very good academically. Cal, I could go on. There's If I, if I, if I missed your college, I apologize. But it's like, hey, I'm at Georgetown, and you know what? I was the star of my high school team. And, you know, I'm thinking of guys like Tyler Crawford, and there's just guys like that. But it seems like that's not happening. What's your take on that, the idea that you can't get guys to kind of come through the system? And like you said, maybe not the guy that when he gets in the game, you chant his name, because I feel like that's probably more of a walk-on thing, at least you hope. But just just guys – I guess it's guys always making basketball decisions when is that a realistic thing for everyone? There's only a small amount of people that are really making basketball decisions. Cause there's not that many professional spots, even when you include the whole world. Well, that's where I think you and I look at it differently because when these kids are transferring, I almost think it's because they're accepting the fact that they're not going to play professional basketball. And they just want that two years or one year of experience of playing college basketball because they know that's going to be the last basketball that they're going to play. So I view it opposite. I don't think a lot of the transfers on a certain level are transferring because they think it's going to get them into the NBA. Fact. Now, there are some that do, and I'm okay. not going to name names who think they can run everywhere and they think they're going to because it's going to make them. But I think there's a lot of kids who have accepted the fact by the time they get to their sophomore year, that they have a grip on reality. I'm probably not going to play. Like I said earlier, I don't have a desire to play in a uh, in a C-level European league. And so I just want to transfer to – This is my last time at, to shine. Yeah, and I want to get the playing time, so I always have that experience. And I think that's part of the reason why we see a lot of the transfer – 
I don't think it's always because I think if I go somewhere else that I'm going to be a professional. Okay. I think a lot of kids are accepting the fact that this is probably going to be it for me, and I really don't want to spend it being the the ninth or tenth guy on the bench. Yeah. And well, so yeah, so two things for that. Like I said, seems like if you can use your athletic ability to get you into a school like that, you know, there seems to be a lot of value in staying there if you recognize that I'm not gonna play pro. Like, you know, I know that Thompson, you know, had that the deflated basketball story and like don't let this be. So I think when you're making a decision to transfer from Georgetown to a school just to play, you start to think like and maybe it's just maybe it's naive to think that high level division one athletes are thinking about school as much, but I would think that Georgetown is in a different class as far as I bet Georgetown, like maybe I stay, <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Right. No. And I, Hey, if there's someone who understands what you're speaking about, it's me. And I had recently, I had a conversation with um, one of the, the major private schools, um, with their head basketball coach because my son goes to that particular school. Yeah. And we talked about the people who, um, do you want to pay the tuition? And I'm not going to get into talking about the money portion of it. Um, do you want to pay this tuition to go to a school that you know that academically is below um, what you're being prepped for just to play basketball? Yeah. And so from that perspective, and now you're talking to Marcus Washington, the parent, the answer with, with my son is, is no. Um, I would rather for him to be uh, a kid at Georgetown that never plays than a kid at, and I'm not going to name anyone's school, than a kid at a particular school um, for him to play. But ultimately, as a parent, that would be his decision. If he said, Dad, I'd rather go to school X, because I want to have that experience. And maybe I go to a higher level school to get my master's. So I'm still getting that education just as a grad, not as an undergrad. I mean, at that point, as a parent, I respect that decision. Yeah, and and that, that's so, a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a lot of floating factors. So in, in many ways, I do sort of agree with you, but having heard the other side from guys who have already done it uh, that I've known and, and guys that are contemplating it now, I just understand it's just such an individual decision. Yeah. And then from a recruiting angle, I know I mentioned how I, I I'm pretty sure Jay Wright doesn't fill out the roster of his scholarships. And I'm really confident that Musselman has a quote out there that I can't forget well, I can't remember it, but I, I I remember the gist of it. And I wonder how that affects your recruiting where you say, look, I'm going after, you know, I've got these slots. I'm going after certain high-end players, but I want to have guys, you know, decent guys. I want to have, you know, guys that can play on some level, but you can't, you can't have, you can't give out 13 scholarships to guys that all think they're going to be in the NBA. Right. No, so is no, there a way is there is it, go ahead so i'm saying like is there a way i mean it's probably impossible but is there a way to kind of like you know you always want to have these guys on your end of the bench that are going to be you know good in practice like good for the team 
you know, probably like not at that Big East level, but close because it's like, I mean, shoot, look, in my adult soccer league or basketball league, like you kind of, even at that level, you have to sort of know like what you can do and who's playing a lot and stuff like that. And I think, I just think that you might lessen your transfers if you're not, if you're not, if every kid that you get doesn't think they're on the way to the NBA. And I'm assuming Georgetown is part of their recruiting takes kids to Capital One Arena. And I'm not assuming, I know they do that. Okay. And I, I guess I'm just trying to figure out, and it's not my job to do it, but figure out a way where you maintain a core group or, you know, at least some guys that aren't just going to dip if they're not playing a lot. Or is that just yeah. unrealistic in 2021? It's unrealistic in 2021. You can't even have – it doesn't even have to do with the NBA. You can't have 13 kids on scholarship that you have a group of them that you're not going to just play. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. – kids just don't want to do that, and it goes back to the experience thing. And I think this is what has happened with the transfer portal, and it's the reason why the core Marcus Washington is sort of loving what's happening because – I think for too long, the NCAA has been able to operate under very archaic and very lockdown, anti-free market type of system that has borne out million-dollar coaches with generational wealth from a supposed, uh, you know, um, charity tax break system. And it it bothers the dickens out of me. And so – the NCAA being torn brick by brick down does not bother me whatsoever because, and this is to reveal my age because I grew up and this is not to politicize anything, but you're going to have to hear me out. I grew up my core learning time as a kid growing up was during the Reagan administration, which was deregulation, let free market act in a way that a free market act like. And we did not see this in the NBA until 1988, which is why it's comical when people say, well, you know, this player back in the 80s didn't try to make a super team. Well, back then, there was not unrestricted free agency. It was compensatory. That did not change until 1988. So please stop. I I just hate it when I hear people say that. It wasn't possible. Same thing with the NFL. And then the NFL went to plan B free agency before it went all the way to free agency. Really, Major League Baseball was the only sport growing up that actually had free agency. So my thing is is that the NCAA is getting into the deregulation free market business, which is the transfer portal, which is we have to be careful because if we lose these cases in courts and the cases that go in front of the Supreme Court, it is truly going to be the wild, wild west. It is. Uh, These days of being sold – that, you know, it should be free market for everyone, except for college athletics. College athletics, no, 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 because we're protecting the kid. And then, you know, everyone in 2021 knows that that's, that's, just, that's just garbage. It has nothing to do with that. So my thing is a piece of me loves to see this. But I warn people, free market means that that train goes both ways. It works out for some people. There's going to be a large group of people it's not going to work out for. That's the way this works. So we are seeing pseudo-free agency in college athletics with this transfer portal. But understand, it is not going to be the, the good train for everyone. In fact, you can 
even say that the majority aren't going to be on the good train, that it's not going to work out for the most, depending on how you want to define working out. But my thing is, is it's more important to have the opportunity to have those things because I certainly wasn't in favor of coaches being able to block where you transfer. What is that? Oh, we need to release you first. No, no, stop. They're not employees, as the NCAA has told us time and time again. But they're also not hired help on the plantation. And that's the way they've been treated. And because they were treated that way for so long, and because of the court system now, the NCAA is losing. And I fault them for that. I do not fault these kids. I fault the NCAA not getting with the times and not recognizing that times were changing. You were not going to be able to have this forever under the auspices of, well, it's always been this way. That's garbage. There's a lot of things, and I'm not going to bring it up because it's not the podcast. There's a lot of things that used to be ways that I think that in today's society we think is revolting, starting with, you know, treatment of women, so on and so forth. So don't, don't act like back in the day is always great. So my thing is I have no problem with the transfer portal. I have no problem with 1,400 kids being in the transfer portal with the, the, the knowledge of it's not going to work out for everyone. And as we have years where kids get used to knowing the temperature of the room of transferring and coaches get used to knowing now how to manage a roster during these times, things will get better. No different than when the NBA first had free agency, no different than when NFL had first had free agency where organizations made mistakes, players made mistakes, people made mistakes. It didn't come off unhinged. People made mistakes. Well, we're seeing the early portion of some of the deregulation, for lack of a better term, of how college basketball works. And, yes, kids are going to make mistakes. Yes, programs are going to make mistakes. But that's all part of the process. Um, And, again, we got here because the NCAA refused to change. And now we're getting all this change all at once. It's like being fed with a fire hose. If the adults in the room would have acted like adults, we wouldn't be here. Well, yeah, I mean, the NCAA basically being a minor league system without paying its players was always going to, it was, there was always going to be a problem. There's always going to be a change. That's always, you know, something that was inevitable because you're not fixing the obvious problem. I will say back to your 88 comment about the NBA, you could basically have a super team easier because there were just less teams Uh, you know i mean so you know you could basically have super a super team by just making like one trade but it wasn't the whole like we're we're gonna go here together kind of stuff um and i do think that growing up in part of that time it it, it was i don't want to you know lose jobs for basketball players but i i think the nba could do with a few less teams it would be you, you know, just concentrate the talent, but that's not going to happen because those owners have those teams. Um, so Javon Blair, we already talked about him, but I always want to point out real quick that, and I thought at the time, I thought after his sophomore year, he was going to transfer. Okay. We all know that mm-hmm. he was on the Big East All-Freshman team, but he only started two games that year. It wasn't a very good Georgetown team. And then his next year, he got recruited over. Right. McClung came in, Akinjo came in, Jagan was still there. You know, he got recruited over and his minutes cut in half basically. 
uh, all of his stats basically cut in half. And then after that season, they brought everybody back, you know, and then they added um, Allen as a grad transfer. And I'm thinking, why is Allen going to come to Georgetown when he just made the NCAA tournament as a starter? And now he's coming, you know, it's back home, but now he's coming to a place where McClellan and Akinjo play a ton. You have Mosley and you have Blair. That's where the whole Blair Island thing started because that season, that season started, Javon got off to a bad start. I think uh, Andrew was on here. Mr. Casual Hoya was, you know, didn't want to see Blair play anymore. And I'm like, look, trust me, this guy can fill it up off the bench. I'm on Blair Island. And uh, so when you look at what he did, he would have been a classic guy to just leave. And he didn't. And I know this is just one example, but look at what happened. Like, look at what happened to him. Next thing you know, he's the guy for a season and a half, blah, blah, blah. And going back even further, this is 10 years. I basically went through the Georgetown rosters for a little bit. Henry Sims was a pretty big recruit. He was a four-star out of Baltimore. So he's a big-time recruit. He's local-ish. I include Baltimore with local recruiting. He didn't really do anything his first two years. And then his junior year, he starts one game. You know, he started one game his first three years. That's a guy that doesn't stay in college. I'm sorry. That's a guy that doesn't stay at that college anymore. I don't think there's many Henry Sims. And this was only 10 years ago. And then his his senior year, he's all Big East. He plays in the NBA for a while. He's still playing professionally. I guess that's where I'm just old man. You know, like you don't see stuff like that happen. And I think that there's tons of examples of guys getting better. And I know that you're a coach. You don't even have that long to coach guys to their potential because if it, if it's not immediate, they leave. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's no, no, that, that's, there's no doubt about it. And I, even on my level, I see it. Um, I see it quite a bit. I see it in the public schools. I see it in the private schools. Yes. And you know, people put in all kinds of rules. Uh, you know, even public schools have, have put in rules. Well, if, if you transfer under circum circumstances, you can come to the school, but you can't play athletics. And um, parents even know how to game that system. Uh, so people are going to go where they want to go. Uh, my thing is, is I, and I have probably said this to you. I know I've said it to many people. As a coach, when people ask, well, how do I deal with it? I always tell people, I, I got to coach the 13 in front of me. The people that have left. They've left for whatever reason they've left for. Um, I can't control that. And I think college coaches, um, that's where they're headed to. And I think that's part of the reason why Roy Williams is no longer the coach in North Carolina. Oh, for sure. Uh, He just could not, he was not going to change. And he understood that where we are now, that's not going back to where he came from. And it was at this point in my life of all I've accomplished, especially in my time at North Carolina, where I have a better record than Krzyzewski during that time. I have more national championships than Krzyzewski during that time. Um, maybe this is the time for me to go out. Just that if you're a Carolina fan, the idea that Roy's last game that he coached was an absolute embarrassment against Wisconsin hurts. But uh, a lot of it was the um, environment and I don't want to sound unfair. Probably the last straw was was Kessler. Um, it's not that was just the the last brick. It's not all of the bricks, but at that point, it's like you know what? If I can't even keep a kid like that, just forget it. Yeah, yeah. I guess I just wanted to bring up that, and I'm sure everything will settle once this has been happening and. 
there'll be a new normal and you know then there'll be like the next thing but i just want to point out that like i said like you know just literally blair who just said he's not come back for his fifth year he's a perfect example of somebody that by even while he's in college it's been moving towards you got to go if you're not playing and he stuck it out it worked out really well and like i said going back even further you know a guy like henry sims like i mean looking back it's unbelievable that he stayed in college based on what we know now based on you're a big time recruit you're a center that can pass and shoot and you're barely playing here and he had nba guys in front of him and then to see him put it together and so there is the ability to stay in a program learn how to play and to get better it doesn't all have to be immediate and i guess yeah. we'll see if people start to realize that again and we'll also see like you said you know i'm bobby bancroft i transfer from so and so to so and so tech and i get to make my instagram post and i get to have a million likes and that's great but then guess what the next year someone else is doing the same thing and they're coming to the same school that that, that just wooed me and now i'm last week's news you know so it's like you got to remember that you know like you're you know there's always someone else coming down the line so there should be some value i think in the coaches that you committed to the first time that you probably feel really good about. And I'm assuming they're at that school. They could have left. And if they leave, I think everything's off the board. Like I've always felt growing up that if you're at a school and the coaches leave, you should be able to leave like that. That's just the no brainer, you know, right. but I do think that there is something to sticking with the group that got you and trusting them a little bit more than less than a year. Because, you know, if we're talking about a college basketball season, you weren't even on campus for a full year. So I think that there's something to trusting those people longer than a year. But, you know, I get it. I get it. And I, particularly now because everyone gets an extra year. I mean, this was complete, complete craziness. Okay, so I got a bunch of Twitter questions. Let's try and go through them. I know that we've probably answered them as we've spoke. So as we've uh, spoken here. So Eddie Lee B says did tj Berger leave on his own or was he told they have no room i would have preferred they got rid of okay well we don't need to prefer that they got rid of guys this is not the nba this is college kids we're talking about uh we talked about that a little bit marcus did tj Berger leave on his own uh we we don't know and there is a lot of ways that 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 could have gone down i don't think you can't just look at it and say he got told to leave we have no reason to believe that happened yeah, no, oh, no doubt, no doubt. And like you said, there could be many, many reasons for him to want to leave on his own. And if he wants to speak about it, he can speak about it. But uh, people who know me know that I'm not going to speculate about it. No, no, I, I yeah. We got uh, at D Volstar 76. Malcolm, was, Malcolm Wilson, is he staying or going? If he's staying, I hope he's practicing and improving. I want to see him get more minutes next year. I want to see that four-star ranking justified. I think he was a three-star, but he did have a good list. I looked at this earlier. I think his final three was Clemson, Georgia Tech, and Georgetown. So he was thought of as a pretty good player coming out. I think he's been a bit of a project. It didn't help they got hurt his first year. Um, Again, I think he's someone that's going to stick around for the long haul because I think it sounds like based – on my understanding, we haven't had a chance to talk to him. There hasn't really been a reason to, but based on his inclusion on that NCA committee as one of the student representatives, I have to imagine that he is a very, very smart young man. 
I know that during the season you've talked about wanting to see him more, and we heard Patrick talk about how great he was at practice, but we never really saw the minutes. What's your take on Malcolm Wilson? Yeah, I think he's uh, he's a guy who's going to be here for the full uh, haul, not to sound um, like hokey or anything. I just think he values uh, an education and a degree from Georgetown. And yeah. Um, yeah. at this point, I think he stays the the entire ride, and hopefully he can improve on the court. I would like to see him in a little bit of extended minutes, maybe this year with a more of a college basketball schedule, uh, a non-conference schedule. There'll be some built-in games yeah, yeah. where he can kind of get some extended minutes and let's see where he is then. Yeah, I totally agree. We've got, which is one of the funnier accounts on here. It's at little Hoya 15, but the name is Chris Sodom burner. Um, that's an interesting uh, decision on Twitter. I like it though. It's funny. Uh, will Will Don Carey count towards the scholarship total, assuming he comes back? Um, I've been told that he's going to come back. I mean, I literally asked him. Although we know asking athletes the minute after a crushing loss what they're going to do with their life is not the one hundred percent accuracy you're going to get. I've been told he's going to come back, and from what I understand, he is not going to count against the scholarship total. Yeah, um, and he certainly would help them coming back, to be honest with you, uh, a veteran yeah. presence um, along with the transfers. Again, if, if a couple of the uh, freshmen who are coming in aren't ready for prime time, it buys uh, Ewing some time uh, throughout the season. So, yeah, that would be good for that would be good for George if he comes back. We've got at La Hoya, which I imagine he had to get that Twitter handle handle early. As that would have been a popular one. Let's see when he, let's see when he joined Twitter. Yeah, February 2010. Good job, man. Because I have to imagine that is going to be, <laughs> that would be a very popular handle for a Georgetown guy. Any thoughts on an in-person Kente Corner symposium discussing the off season? You know, that would be awesome. I would love it. I think I'd probably have it somewhere that most people wouldn't want to go, which is somewhere near me. You know, I imagine a lot of the local Georgetown fans are D.C. and Arlington-based, Bethesda. I'm out here in Fairfax. But, uh, you know, when everything gets a little bit safer, I don't know how many people we would draw, but I would totally be into having some sort of in-person Kente Corner get-together. I imagine it would be – I know we've got a good listening base, but I think it's kind of spread out. I don't know how many people are local. <clears throat> so that would be something I'd be interested in. I know Marcus and I have hung out outside of this podcast many times. So that wouldn't be too hard to accomplish. Sounds like a great idea. (laughs) Um, This is talking B practice. This is a pretty good account. That's, I know messaged me a lot. We've or tweeted at me a lot, but we've definitely gone back and forth a few times. What's the best place to grab a bite and drink in the transfer portal now? Okay. Obviously that's a very funny question. I actually started to try and catch myself and always say he's entered his name in the transfer portal. I'm not like a huge sci-fi guy, but I definitely don't dislike science fiction. When you say he entered the portal, it definitely brings about, um, you know, some sort of some sort of late night movie, you know, vibe, right? Like you're going to the portal and it's definitely not a good place to be. So I don't know the best place to get a bite in the transfer portal, but that's one thing. Have you started to do that or you just keep saying transfer portal? I, I keep saying transfer portal. Um, 
he entered the transfer portal, and like you said, Lord knows where that takes you. Yeah, I th- I think it's important to say the name. He entered his name in the transfer portal. It makes a lot more sense, although I don't do it all the time. But uh, talk and be practiced. If you can figure out uh, where that is, I will definitely go there. I'm down to go to places. Um, at the real MPL, should we expect the current Wild West transfer environment to continue past this year? Yeah, absolutely. I think that particularly since the group that just played, they get everyone gets an extra year. It's not just the super seniors that can come back. Like literally, if you played this year, you have it, you have another year. So the freshmen, they have four years if they want to use it, you know, and vice versa. Now, that being said, the colleges, the universities can decide, hey, look, I know you have an extra year of eligibility. Um, you know, it's closing time. You know, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here type of situation. So with, you know, with that and, you know, guys are smarter now as far as knowing the rules and coaches knowing the rules and parents knowing the rules to where, you know, hey, look, graduate early. You get to go play somewhere else, you know, all that kind of stuff. So. I don't think transferring is going to calm down for a while. I'm sure you agree. Yeah, I think um, we'll, in about three years, I think we'll see less and less people in the portal. Yeah, less because we'll have more, the- we'll have more uh, data points of like, did it, did it, like, is it working out right. when like you move? Right, exactly. And that's why I said, let this play out. We are in the very early stages of this. And I do think, as I said earlier with the, the NFL and the NBA, I think over time, as we do know how this truly impacts, you'll see market correction. So everyone bear with it. It's not the end of the world. Just bear with it, and, and the market will correct itself. At RCDC20, fit in. I didn't even know you could write this many questions in one tweet. So hats off to you. Uh, we've talked about a lot of this. Are we done recruiting transfers? Referring to Georgetown. No is the answer. Um, that being said, depending on the roster movement, they don't really have a spot for any of them, but you're always recruiting guys, even when you're full, because guess what? Someone knocks on your door and says, Hey Pat, I love you, but I think I'm going to go to here. You got to be ready. You know, and if you're not ready, you're not doing a good job. And we know Patrick's doing a good job. So they're not done recruiting. Whether they get any more, I think, is to be determined. Um, here's one. When is Aminu going to sign his letter of intent? Never. Right? I mean, if you're a kind of kid like him, if you're a five-star, you know, you're not worried Georgetown's going to, like, fill your spot, right? So there's really no advantage for Muhammad to sign that until, like, you know, if he you know needs to get on campus to do it, you know, but... He doesn't. He doesn't need to do that. And I know this. This pops up a lot. Georgetown qu- fans ask this question. And I mean, if my son was a Minu Muhammad level talent, I don't think I'd have him sign it. You know what happens if Patrick? Well, you know what happens? You know what? What happens if Patrick gets an NBA job next week, right? Or you know, I mean, like there's all these things that could happen. And once you sign that, it just becomes more of a more of a bureaucratic red tape way to get out of it. Marcus, do you have a do you have a different I view on agree that? Agree more. No, no, no. I couldn't agree more with you. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily rush to sign it either. Yeah, no, there's and, and I'm not saying that as a reason for concern. I don't think if you're a Georgetown fan and you're just you cannot wait to see Aminu Muhammad out there, him not signing is not a reason. You know, I don't don't wake up every morning and check to see if he signed a letter of intent. It's 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 not it it, it doesn't matter. Uh 
if Ewing brings in anyone else, who's next to leave? Um, I touched on this a little bit earlier. I wouldn't be, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the other freshmen left just because when you look at the playing time and you look at what's happening now in the current college basketball environment, I think that they all kind of fit the profile of, of people that can consider the grass being greener somewhere else, particularly since they will literally have a, fl- a fresh start with four years somewhere else. So um, I don't know who, but I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, and I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to, but I mean, you could just look, it's, uh, it's not Dante Harris. Okay. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, what is Jalen Harris's status? We actually talked about this for a while. We do not know. We are both surprised. There hasn't been something uh, mentioned for, you know, by, by, by somebody, maybe I got to investigate and figure out how to get a hold of Jalen Harris just to check in, see if he's okay. And, you know, see what his what his future plans are. Is Jamarco Pickett going to return, Marcus? I think we both think no. Yeah, I think no. Uh, will the team be able to practice together this summer? Uh, yeah, there's definitely dates, and uh, I don't have the the calendar in front of me as to what like the the workout schedules are. I mean, just today, Georgetown posted a pretty cool video of them all lifting weights and stuff. And I'm not going to lie, I watched it like two or three times to see if you could see Pickett in the background. Which, by the way, Marcus wouldn't have proven a damn thing because he could totally work right. out with them and still right. leave. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But I would have been doing the same thing had I seen the video. I would have done the same thing. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, Brianne Cunningham asked, "Is there going to be Kenner League this summer? If so, will fans be allowed to attend?" I think the bit. I, I mean, so. We just saw just yesterday the Wizards let fans in for the first time. The Caps are doing it, which is both indoor environments. We know the Nats have had fans. They went from 5,000 to 10,000. They're hoping to move up. I would be surprised if Kenner League happens at Georgetown. And if it does, one, I don't think it's going to happen. Two, if it does happen, I don't think fans are going to come. I think the more likely scenario is that DC has been very strict. I think that you might see like a Kenner League type. It's you know officially called the Nike, you know, Washington DC Pro City League. I think you might see it be held somewhere maybe in Maryland or Virginia. You know, now someone's going to let me know that it can't happen. It's contractually obligated to McDonough, blah blah blah. That being said, I I, I don't know. I, I I do not think based on what we've seen from Georgetown and what we've seen from DC that even by July we're going to be at a point where just random people can stroll into McDonough and watch, you know, uh, varying levels of uh, summer league greatness. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think it happens at McDonough. Peace Me doesn't think it happens at all. But if it does happen at an alternate uh, location, I feel like it would. the alternate location would be in Maryland before it would be in Virginia. Yeah. Although I don't know, man, Kim English has been all over Twitter. I could see him trying to throw his hat in yeah. the ring to, to host a very high level summer league. Yes, indeed. He's, he's been a breath of fresh air. I don't want to turn this into a George Mason podcast, but he's been a breath of fresh air. You know, I'm really the kind of guy that needs to hear a name before he pronounces it. So I'm going to butcher this, but Armin, uh, I'm just going to call him Armin. Anyway, he asked, you know, when's, when's Patrick Baldwin 
going to commit to Georgetown. I can't believe we made it over an hour without talking about that. That probably shows you what I think of his chances of coming to Georgetown are. <laughs> um, I'll say this for the, the, the big Georgetown fans that are listening. I basically ignored the Muhammad recruitment. I just didn't, I, I just, I just didn't see it. You know, uh, I had very low expectations for Georgetown in the big East this year. Okay. Uh, both of those things went the way that the fans would want. Muhammad is says he's coming to Georgetown and Georgetown won the big East tournament championship. So the fact that I'm cool on Baldwin could probably be a positive for the fans that are hoping for it, but it just seems like between Duke between playing for his father and you know what, he might just go play in the G league. Right. So I'd be, I'd be surprised. Um, I think, I think most of the most optimistic Georgetown fans are hoping to get either one of Baldwin or Pickett, both of which would be great. I just think they're both unlikely. Yeah, I tweeted about Baldwin earlier. Uh, okay. No different than what you just said. Yeah, I tweeted about him this morning um, that everything that I'd read and the latest from even uh, ESPN's recruiting is that it's pretty much down to Duke of Milwaukee, which makes sense. Uh they didn't even put the G League in play for him. They did okay. have a couple other high-level five-stars that who haven't committed that they said is in play for the G League. I just have a feeling he's going to be a dude. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I didn't think they were, like I said, I didn't think they are going to get Muhammad. Once Gillespie got injured, you could see a path if you squinted to the Big East final. Although I thought that was asking a bit much to complete the deal. They did both those things. So, you know, it's definitely out there. It's possible. I think, man, I think outside of the Big East Championship, and I know Muhammad's a great recruit, you know, and uh, getting Patrick Baldwin when you're competing against his dad and Duke, that's got to be, is that is that Patrick, if, if he got him, would that be Patrick's second most, you know, uh, accomplished event at Georgetown? You, you could argue that. You could argue because that's a that's a big ask. That yeah. is a big ask. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and he obviously fits a position of need, and it would oh, be great. And I know everybody wants that to happen. And if you've listened to this much of the podcast, I doubt you want me being a negative negative Nancy about it, but it just, it just seems like, it seems like a lot. It seems like a lot for that to happen, but do not let me discourage you from waking up every morning and checking Twitter and checking everything. And definitely if he gets, if Patrick pulls that in, we will have an emergency podcast. You can bet your ass. Okay. (laughs) Um, But uh, it seems like a lot. It seems like a lot. I think that's pretty much it for the questions that I saw here real quick. Uh, Is there anything we forgot? I don't think anybody wants to hear us talk about Notre Dame football. Um, Mason basketball, maybe next time. I guess that's about it, right? Yeah, definitely. Not bad for being in the heart of the offseason. Oh, Marcus, how could I forget? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. 
Mac McClung, who had put his name in the transfer portal. Oh. And also at the same, I mean, so you weren't on, but I had Nolan on. It was, it was the funniest, in my opinion, the funniest thing I'd ever seen. It was, Hey, Lubbock, I love you guys. I'm always a Red Raider. This is the best year of my life. I'm paraphrasing, so it's not exactly word for word, okay? But it was of, of that level. I just want to let you know I'm going to put my name in the NBA draft. Oh, by the way, also the transfer portal. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and which to be – I can't remember if he did it after Beard left. Because, I mean, look, to be honest, you know, I mean, same thing with the Kinjo. Like, the coach left, right? So, like, I'm not going to hate on that. I think I think McClung might have done it before Beard left, but I'm not sure. I, I don't have it in front of me. But, anyway, a little bit earlier today, I was walking the dogs and got back, and I saw that he is not in the transfer portal. Well, his name, at least. Um, I assume he's not going to go pro, but who the hell knows? But uh, it wouldn't really be an off-season Georgetown podcast without mentioning Mac McClung and indecision of what he's going to do. I don't know if you listened to the last podcast, but Nolan brought up a pretty good point. He said, and I was like, God, I don't know what Nolan does for his job, but he was like, honestly, don't you think if he just had some sort of deal with YouTube and went over and played in Europe, he could have made a ton of money? And I think the answer is yes. Oh, I do. Hey, I completely agree with that. But one of the, the blue check marks on Twitter um, brought up that it wasn't as easy as it sounds for McClung to transfer and play right. immediately. Right, yeah. So yeah. that was also probably in play. Yeah, and, and I want, well, and, you know, the kid from VCU did the same thing. Yeah. Silva. Yes. Yep. He put he put yep. his name in the portal and then he st- I think because they hired the assistant coach, you know, I think yeah, that kind of made things better. But I figured that while it would be hard for McClung to play again and and Akinjo, I'm sorry, play immediately, I would think that yeah. there might be some work around because their coaches left. Is what I was kind of like I figured that was kind of like the lifeline. Mhm. Yeah. That's definitely a possibility. But yeah, so sorry. I don't know how I forgot that. I don't know how I possibly forgot that. Um, yeah, we have that. And we covered it. Most definitely. I love we, being on here, especially the off-season edition. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy that, you know, I'm trying to do at least one a week. Oh, I don't know if you listened. I guess it wasn't the last one when I said the last one. The last one actually had Kareem on, and I should have had him on earlier. It's been He has a very busy schedule with all the teams he covers. But uh, did you hear that, or maybe you knew outside of the podcast, but he's working on a book with Michael Graham? No, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, he's working on a book, which I think will be very interesting. I know Michael, you know, is a very, he tells it like, he, you know, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. I've met him a few times. I'm sure he doesn't remember me. We are social media friends, but you know that's not nearly as intimate as maybe it was ten years ago or so. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend like I know him, know him, but I think that could be a very interesting book, and I will definitely read it. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt, and you know, obviously, we grew up in a time where Michael Graham will always be interesting to us. Yeah. 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 And I mean, obviously there's much more to his life. You know, he's, I mean, shoot, he's got to be about 55, 56 or so, I guess. Um, 
Am I doing the math right? Oh, he played with Ewing. Ewing's about fifty-five. First, he's Ewing might be fifty-seven. And anyway, whatever. He's like he's like mid fifties. Um. Well, I guess he's a couple years younger than uh, Patrick. But anyway, he's fifty-something. And so I'm not trying to say that his entire life is that one year at Georgetown, but man, he packed a lot into that one year at Georgetown. You know, um, to oh, where it's, yeah. it's very interesting. No doubt. And yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm interesting, interested to, to hear his story. Yeah, I am. Well, yeah, so that that's it. Um, I did mention that Kinjo's in the portal as well. Um, I don't know where he'll land, but I just hope it's, I think I tweeted it to you. I hope it's somewhere that doesn't immediately go on probation when he commits. <laughs> No doubt. I'm always rooting for that cat. I've never hid that fact. And yeah, I do hope he lands somewhere where he can um, be happy and, and have a lot of success. Yeah. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to Kente Corner. Um, if you're listening and you haven't subscribed yet, you should definitely do that. Rate us and leave a comment. That's really cool. I can figure out what to do better, figure out what to try and get, figure out everything that the people are looking for in their Georgetown basketball coverage, even though there's no games for about, what have we got? Seven months, seven months, so no, no games in us, but we will, yeah. we will, we will find a way to keep bringing content. Uh, Marcus has been on the pot a lot. I want to thank you at MTC yeah. with Mook. I don't even forget it anymore. Yeah. It's great. No. It's, it's right there. No. And uh, we don't just tweet about Georgetown. But that is one of one of the one of the bigger focuses. So, Marcus, yeah. until next time. Yes, buddy, love it as always.